1: Welcome, I'm Dr. Jeremy Lukabal, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the Industrial Organizational Psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBoc's IO Career Pathfinder membership at CBoc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cblock.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid, real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences and businesses. Get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, <laughs> Linda Ann, you're going to lead us in discussion of maybe we're going to head in the wrong direction uh, because we're going to talk about AI-driven leadership development. We're going to talk about rethinking executive coaching. And, you know, I'm an actor, so I'm already in a battle with AI because it's going to replace me. Um, And now I'm worried about, as an executive coach, maybe I just create an avatar and send it out to the world.
3: Well, you might be happy with the research that I found, and I wasn't hunting for this. It wasn't predetermined bias. So, (laughs) (laughs) So basically, just in summary... um, the integration of artificial intelligence in executive coaching can really revolutionize the way coaches are trained um, by providing personalized data driven insights and scalable learning experiences, strategies to enhance leadership skills and on and on. And it can analyze, you know, a lot of information and identify coaching trends and uh, facilitate the development of critical leadership competencies, including uh, decision-making, communication, empathy, um, and simulate the coaching experiences, right? So that's where some of it can, can be helpful. Now, I, I think some of us have an image of, well, can you have someone, like an executive, be coached by AI, right? in general and um some of the questions that i came up with and or and i used ai to help me with these questions <laughs>
2: is that cheating <laughs>
3: no it's not it's efficiency <laughs> is um how can ai transcend traditional coaching methodologies to provide more personalized, scalable, data-driven approaches to the executive leadership development process? Um, what are the ethical implications of that? And uh, especially concerning data privacy and uh, psychological impacts. And then the one that hit home for me, and this is kind of a leftover from the last conversation, I think it was last week's conversation is, can AI truly understand and navigate the complex emotional and strategic landscape of executive leadership, or is the human touch irreplaceable? So let me pull up my uh, chat and drop in some documents for you all. Uh, let's see here. My... So there's one here called AI Communication for Human-to-Human Communication, Applying Interpretable unsupervised anomaly detection to executive coaching. So this is not the way I normally speak and interpreting this data or information article was not an easy t- go for me, but um, I will summarize it really quickly here. And uh, unsupervised anomaly detection means it's unsupervised learning, the type of machine learning that does not rely on labeled data to find patterns or clusters in the data. So one of the applications of unsupervised learning is anomaly detection, which is the task of identifying outliers or abnormal instances in the data. So in this article, um, what they found was when they were using this um, tool or technique, they found that expert coaches began to ignore the outputs from the computer once the outputs contradicted their observation or intuition. So as the coaches had indicated, the, they found it difficult to rely on outputs based on simplified categories. So if the, the machine or, or whatever they were using simplified the information too much, then the coaches would ignore it. And, um, and basically that the outputs um, were indifferent to the subtle changes of the nonverbal behavior coaches. And that's why they um, decided to disregard the computer. So, in conclusion on this particular article, what they said was, uh, what their conclusion was is that human nature is often too complex to be simplified into well defined problems tractable by regular supervised learning algorithms. And then applying the existing explainable AI techniques designed for supervised algorithms to such a situation might not be a remedy. Instead, we can assume that the involvement of experts as the counterpart of AIs we suggest delegating the interpretation part to them and trusting um, them to induce their open-ended interpretations.
4: So, so, we're,
3: we're <laughs> so not to me, what to that you. meant, and I'm, please, everyone disagree. Um, to me, what that meant is at this point in time, what the machines are able to do in that interpretation of, of watching people respond, whether that was body language or facial uh Changes and things like that, it wasn't enough solid feedback for the humans to say, Yeah, I'm gonna go with that.
2: So, um, let's go to Dr. Martha. Yeah, let's go over to you, Dr. Martha. Let's start you off there.
5: (laughs) So, that was so well said. I'm glad that uh, Linda and you found that article and brought it in to share it with us because I'll tell you that. Personally, I don't need a, a research study to tell me that human behavior and humans in general are so beautifully complex that we have yet to decode ourselves and our own behavior. So how can AI, which is really programmed by humanity, by humans, how can AI possibly do a better job at interpreting behaviors and telling us how to behave Uh, than another human can. So there's a a time and a place for AI, certainly. And as it develops and becomes better for our needs, uh, then we should use it by all means. Linda Ann said, hey, I used AI to do this research because it was faster and more efficient. And that's perfect. That's where AI belongs, especially at this stage. But I think we are not giving ourselves, well, some are not giving the complexity of human behavior enough credit to know from the get-go. No, AI cannot really do any justice to taking over for, for humans, whether that's uh, training, whether that's assessment, whatever the case may be. You need another human. AI just doesn't cut it. And and I have felt this way for a long time as a psychologist, That's what I do. I watch people. I watch human behavior. And I understand that as much as we know and as far as we've come in this field, we have a long way to go. That's the beauty of science and of psychology. We evolve and continue to learn and discover things about our own species and our own behaviors. So there's no way uh, a machine, for lack of a better word, is going to do a better job than another human being. And that's my five cents on
2: that. Well, I'm, I'll at least pay a dollar on that one, because uh, I, I want to agree, you know, as, as a coach with how do you be authentic on camera doing what we're doing right now? And um, I, I sure hope AI is not going to replace me because it is those subtle things. Uh, Dr. Matthew, let's go to you.
6: So both Linda and, and Dr. Martha bring up fantastic points and absolutely the the human element at least at this point, with the technology, technology is nowhere near that human element. I actually had a similar conversation with another thought leader earlier this week on this topic about integrating AI, not just in learning and development, but in business operations and production and performance. And the analogy that we came to, the conclusion we came to actually first was that AI doesn't have to be something that replaces the human. It actually does better when it is integrated and worked together with both pieces. So specifically, if we were to look at coaching, working with a coach who is able to observe those body behaviors, that body language, those subtle nuances that the AI technology is not gonna pick up. But then you have the AI that is that is recording the conversation and then you can pop that right into chat GPT or something and say, what were the two or three main themes that came out of this? That coach may be able to say, yep, I picked up on those things and listening to them. But there may be an opportunity where the coach says, you know, I didn't notice that they also talked about this piece. Why don't we come back to this at some point? It's all about that integration and that bringing together. The analogy that we came up with or that we worked through was that AI is like uh, using AI at work is like having a tutor that helps you with your homework. If the tutor does the whole homework assignment, you may have submitted a completed task, but the argument can be made that what you submitted was not yours. You didn't learn how to do it on your own and, and you actually offered solid support. That you're not needed for that output process. On the other hand, if the tutor provides guidance and direction, offers suggestions and helps you learn how to do it more effectively and more efficiently, what you end up submitting at the end ends up being something that you have contributed to, something that you have produced. Along the way, you've developed your skills and you've demonstrated that your effective use of that tool and those resources can benefit the output and that it was with your skill that that output was produced. And really, you offered support while you are needed for that input for that output you've just shown that you know how to navigate and communicate with that ai technology so in learning and development and executive coaching those that know how to incorporate that this is the future of, of leadership excellence and innovation like ai it's essential for today's leaders and today's organizations to stay competitive and and pursue and achieve their goals
2: having said that though dr matthew let me ask you this um you're an IO psychologist, you have an IO psychology firm, um, you've got multiple clients and you've got 10 IOs in the back room who are working with all these clients. But AI comes along and it can do a lot of that work for you. Do you need those 10 IO psychologists in the back room or can you now go down to one?
6: How much more good could I do with using that technology and those 10? If that technology allows me to be more effective and more efficient, I just took 10 people who can do 10 days worth of work, and we've, comp- we've we've compressed it down using that technology to make it more efficient. Look how many more people and how many more organizations we can serve.
2: Well, that was the best possible answer you could come up with. <laughs> Thank you for not stepping on that landmine. Uh, Nick, let's go to you.
7: <laughs> That's... Fantastically interesting. And I may take, you know, kind of a devil's advocate portion. There's a lot of pushback. You know, people are afraid that AI is going to replace or take over the jobs. And I think in the conversations we've had in the last few weeks, everybody stops and says, it's not at the sci-fi level yet. It's a tool that we can use to make ourselves better and go through the iterative process to develop questions, develop curriculum and all of that. Um, But even listening to, to Linda Ann's discussion on, you know, the trainers just stopped using it because they thought they knew better. And so I think as we go into this, there's two extremes that can happen. You can over rely on the AI and take that as gospel and let the robots take over as it were, or you can say, this is the way we've always done it, which everybody's favorite phrase in in an organization, and I know better than the machine does. I can read that person better than the analysis that it's spitting out. So I think there is that tension there where it's a powerful tool and in the right hands, it's going to put 10 people, you know, at 10 times the work they were able to do. But at the same point, if people put too much of the brakes on it and fight it too hard, then there's going to be that sort of, I've got this wonderful, you know, it's a a show car at that point, you know, I've got this Ferrari, but I'm never taking it out on the road uh, because I, I can't push that analogy any further, but just the idea that, <laughs> a healthy resistance is good but at the same point if this is the way the future is headed how do we get on the train and and bring our voices to that balance and keeping the human element and if we've got this massive productive productivity engine yeah people are going to say oh cost, i can do it with one and maybe that's where businesses stand out if i'm going to embrace the human element and do more work rather than faster work good
2: point lidian let's go to you
3: yeah i think that the um where we are is at using it as, as a tool and in an integration is, is really key. And the other article I just put into the chat is rethinking education in the age of AI, the importance of developing durable skills in, in the industry. And, um, that really speaks to what it calls durable skills are really what we typically have termed uh soft skills, things like communication, critical thinking, creativity, leadership, adaptability, emotional intelligence, and that they must purposely be integrated into curriculum um, more than ever because recent studies have shown that AI-driven learning pathways can achieve outcomes more quickly, but it comes at the cost of the development of those quote soft skills. So I think that's really important to understand that there's no way at this point in time at least for it to perform on the level of what we qualify as those soft soft essential skills right now in in leadership and and I and I was thinking you know as an executive coach when you're listening to your client sometimes um you have to have that pause where you allow them to process and come to uh That aha moment. And so when you're and it, and sometimes it takes a a bit and to give them that space is one of the most key important things in executive coaching. And to see how, what, how some machine would be able to be sensitive enough to when they're ready to move forward. Um, I haven't seen that capability come through yet.
2: Well, let, let me push back a little bit and let me challenge you on this because, you know, I, I might, and right now, you know, I might spend money and go see, see a therapist, um, <laughs> which is always a good thing to do. Um, and right now I'll pay for it and, you know, it's quality and everything, but the technology is getting better. And what happens in five or 10 years when I can now talk to an AI psychologist and it only costs me 10%? Of what it actually costs me to talk to a real human. Real humans still probably gonna be better, but the technology might be advanced enough that, you know, for that heavy discount, I might just decide to go with the AI version. And isn't business gonna do the same thing?
3: I yeah, probably. They will probably use it as a tool, right? And I and I see that. You know, one of the things, for example, if you're looking at Using AI to develop someone's um, leadership skills, right? Having them be able to practice on virtual reality or, um, have it and then have it give feedback. Like if you, if you're doing, um, a virtual reality, uh, case study situation where it's providing you the opportunity to practice and it can give you feedback, um, then, and you can do that maybe on a learning, a a daily basis, Well, that would improve your learning curve significantly, right? Other than waiting for that opportunity to show up five times in the next year. So, I I think that's a a really good process and tool. I think that, um, I don't, and I had this argument with, uh, not argument, disagreement with, with Jeremy last week on the intuition. I just don't think it's got that capability at, at this point. Um, and it, I guess I need to stretch my imagination to see how that would work, you know, but I think that the having that emotion, that empathy, that thing, that part doesn't, for example, here's one thing. Say, for example, you've gone through a, a very tragic situation and you come to a counselor and you're you're working through your grief or whatever that is, right? Um, how that AI coach responds to you, how can it feel authentic to you in the expression of that empathy?
2: Um, <laughs> well, I can create a full movie right now. <laughs> which is all AI and it will act on your sympathetic nervous system. Uh, although I do like the idea as someone who works with executives on presentations to be able to use AI in virtual reality and they can practice their presentation to a virtual audience. And if they're not very good, people will get up and leave. I'm actually kind of excited about that. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you.
5: So just to touch upon what Linda Ann's response was to, you know, at the end of the day, The decisions you make, whether you're an individual or a corporation, when it comes to something like that, are partly driven by how cheap you are. I mean, look, some people understand certain value demands certain price and they will not compromise. Other people will say that's good enough. Um, So there's always going to be choices that are driven by the cost versus driven by the quality of your experience and what you're expecting, which brings me back to uh, something Nick said that I wanted to comment on. One of the things that he said was something to the effect of using AI um, to produce more or something to that effect. And I I always point out this, what I call the hamster wheel of lunacy that we have all bought into. Why do we have to keep producing more and more and more beyond human capabilities? Is it because you can't sleep unless you do? Or is it because a corporation wants you to make more money for them? Let's think about this. Let's be honest with ourselves. At some point in human history, right? Think about the the um, the the revolution of, of employment. That's what it became when everybody was working for someone else all of a sudden. People were in factories. It was about faster, 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 cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. And we have been so brainwashed that collectively we continue to think along those ways. Why would I want AI to help me to do more work faster? to satisfy the organization. I don't own the organization. I just get a paycheck. Let's be real and let's be honest with ourselves. What is your purpose on this earth? To make someone else rich? Why not combine your efforts with AI to work on quality instead? Wouldn't that make more sense? If we can offer better products and better services because we come together with this new technology rather than running faster of the hamster wheel of lunacy. So I like to remind people of that because we are so caught up with that. We think it's normal. It's not normal. It is not normal to work yourself to death and find new ways of getting there faster. Let's work on quality of how we can improve the experience, what we can provide for someone, what they walk away with, how they benefit from it, not because we were able to do more.
2: I hope someone takes a clip of what you just said and sends it out to every CEO around the world uh, because I, you know, that's a wonderful world. I want to be there, um, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Dr. Matthew, let's go to you.
6: So, a couple of things that I wanted to chime in on. One of them was Tom, your question about you know that heavy discount for the for using the AI version, and then to very much echo what Dr. Martha was saying, it comes back to choices that you as the client get to decide what's effective and what's successful coaching or therapy or counseling or whatever it may be looks like to you. AI is already doing that with you know generating resources, software programs. Uh, other things that don't necessarily have a human directly involved at every aspect of it, or at least not every time, but it still offers benefits. And again, you, the user have that choice to say, is this meeting your wants and your needs or do you want more? And then um, I love what Dr. Martha was just saying about why is there that need to do more? And I want to expand on that a little bit. Uh, one of the thoughts that came to mind was the, uh, introduction of the assembly line. So that, that wasn't AI, but it was a way to do things more effectively and more efficiently. And, you know, when that was introduced, there was an op, there was an opportunity. Great. We can now produce things much faster. So let's keep working the same hours and triple or quadruple or whatever the number is produce more, or it's an opportunity to take a step back and say, what used to take us three weeks to build now takes us 12 days. We can we can take more time for ourselves we can we can you know there's a lot of talk about work life balance resources and tools and ideas innovation helps helps allow that balance to be defined by the individual person we're no longer tied to doing a, a particular task for 24 48 whatever how many hours it takes to do it that innovation that technology that ai uh in training virtual training whatever it may be is an opportunity to To make that life and that experience easier, and that benefit greater,
2: I I agree with you 100. And that's the world I want to live in. But I think even you know the term work life balance, most of us celebrate that. I'm afraid that there are executives who fear that, and you know the idea of work life balance is going to be restricted because if that CEO doesn't make profit the shareholders are going to get rid of them so while ceos may want to look and you know move their organizations to the brave new world where we really do take work-life balance seriously i think it's always going to be driven by the corporate need to satisfy the needs of the shareholders so is that not going to set up a battle
6: i'm going to throw that back with another challenge and say (laughs) But using those resources like that AI, those workers, those employees who say, I don't want to be uh, a cog in the machine working all my life to barely make ends meet, can use that technology, can can learn with that AI to maybe go out and do their own thing. How many businesses were started without that technology? And now there's an opportunity for, for learning. How can I go out and do my own thing? Well, you know what? Let's give it a try. Let's go through some learning and development exercises, and then, hey, you know what? What if there's a a VR platform that lets you actually put those skills to work in a a controlled environment that gives you that real-time feedback to be able to say, I love this idea of working for myself but I just bombed that VR training so I'm going to need a few more months of learning how to do it before I let go of that job that steady paycheck whatever the the situation may be but the, the the challenge that I'll throw back is you're right there will there will continue to be people who are driven by what the stockholders and shareholders say that that's a whole other platform discussion that we can get on at some other time But when it comes back to to the the opportunities that are available to us with the integration, of, of AI and VR training, people don't have to be stuck in that job. They can go explore. We just need to create those platforms for them to learn where and how to use that.
2: And of course, one day I'll probably have AI shareholders. Uh, Nick, let's go to you.
7: Um, there's, I mean, again, always so many kind of tangents that we, we get off on. Um, one of the things that kind of comes to mind is with this more efficient training process, be it through coaching or education or anything like that, I wonder if we're not letting foundations set. I I kind of come to the analogy of a concrete foundation. It takes time to cure and be ready to build on. And so if you're trying to get through these lessons as fast as possible, are you building on a shaky foundation? Are you finding the shortcuts instead of understanding the process? I think back to how badly my math teachers in high school lied to me. You'll never have a calculator in your pocket at all times. And now we do. But I still had to go back through and learn the processes and things like that. And it wasn't because addition, multiplication are valuable in and of themselves, but knowing how the process works makes me appreciate the tool that I have at my disposal that much better. And if, you know, we go back to the Stone Age for for one reason or another, like, hopefully we can still kind of recreate some of those as well. Uh, To Dr. Martha's point about kind of that hamster wheel of insanity, I, I, I agree that if you're just doing it to get the job done and more, 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 that's, Yes, that is doing the same thing and expecting different results. But if you look at it as what sort of impact can you have, what legacy do you leave, and you take that positive intent of how many more people can we reach, how many people can we improve things for, and that's what you're striving for with more production and more quality production, which I agree wholeheartedly, if you're freed up to do that, um, you know, it really comes down to, to what your goals are. And I think oftentimes we paint CEOs, you know, as they're in lockstep with their shareholders and and only beholden to that. And there are plenty of examples of people who are investing in their workforce, in people. And maybe I'm an optimist, but if we can assume some positive intent that the business that they're running is trying to solve a problem or improve something, maybe we can cut them some slack. Um, And they're not just twisting their mustaches, you know, demanding that the wrens do.
2: (laughs) Although that's a great cartoon. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I'm having fun
3: with this conversation. A couple of things. One, to build on what Nick just said, um, when we do our leadership training, one of the things that I emphasize is that that, uh, leadership is a practice right? Just like medicines of practice and, and things like that. And, and the analogy um I give for that, Nick, when you said, um sometimes, you know, you can learn what to do, but now you have to get good at it, right? And so I, I bring it back to, I learned to ski when I was 28 years old, I knew I didn't want to learn bad habits, unlearn, relearn. So I took a lot of lessons. And I was, I was skiing at Vail with an instructor one day, and I was, Asking him what I should do. And he says, you know what to do. He says, sweetheart, now it's just time on the mountain. You just need to spend time on the mountain and do it over and over and over again. Um, and that gets you good at it, right? It's, it's, so you're not instantly just because you know what to do doesn't mean you're good at it yet. And I think that's something that people need to. Remember, when they're developing their new skills, whether they get it from AI or from an individual, that it's really you still have to spend the time as a human to practice it. The other thing I wanted to address um, was uh with Dr. Martha and the hamster wheel in some ways is not completely unique to the U.S., but it's not in every culture. Let's put it that way. Not all cultures have the insanity of mindset the way the United States does. And you have to look at to me, who, who populated this United States, this country, right? What was the personality type that would leave their home country with, you know, a dollar in their pocket, travel days on a ship and come to where they didn't know the language and then for the opportunity to work hard and get ahead that Generational impact, I think, is just now start because of all of our, uh, the way our communications are so global and our societies are becoming more global. I think it's only now starting to become slightly diluted where you go, yeah, I don't think that that's the best way I to, to live my life. And I think that you're getting some pushback from people who have that perspective that are millennial, Gen Z and, and alpha, um, perspective so I don't know that it's going to last here I don't know that it should last here um and I just had a, a couple a question to pose when that is what skills do you all think we need to develop now to stay um to integrate facilitate and evolve using the AI um as coaching and to develop our leadership that um, helps us stay relevant in this environment?
2: That's really interesting because my first response would be our people skills. If we're the more technology that we're going to embrace, the more our people skills need to be excellent. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you.
5: I wanted to say I really like what Dr. Matthew said because I think anytime we are introduced to a new way of doing things, whether it's something like AI or assembly line or or anything else in between it is always with a promise of it being better in some way and part of that promise is that it will we will be better for you the individual employee and while yes some people are benefiting from better faster easier more efficient ways of doing things not everybody is so Lynn Diane brought up this global um idea that not everybody thinks the way that the Western societies or U.S. in, in particular uh, seem to have that mindset. But then we hear about how our thinking influences what goes on in other countries. So think about those factories that make whatever parts or gadgets that we enjoy And then somewhere on the news, we find out how horrible the conditions are or that it would never be allowed to happen that way in the United States. So even though some countries have this drive to an extreme and others don't because of the culture, it's not to say that this way of thinking doesn't bleed across borders and doesn't affect other people. So yes, better ways of doing things is a great idea, and it should benefit us, and it does benefit some people, but when it is used to benefit only those at the top when it comes to the bottom dollar, that's when it's problematic, and unfortunately, that is still very real and very prevalent. And as to Linda's question, I agree with you, Tom. That yes, people skills, because we seem to be losing them rather than mastering them in general. So definitely, people skills. But we also need to understand the tools that we're venturing out to use to integrate with our own efforts. If we don't understand what the tool is, how to use it, or its potential. Not only will we not use it to its fullest capacity, but we may dismiss it altogether. So rather than fearing it or dismissing it, that's something that we all need to learn. And because technology keeps evolving, we need to keep learning about it. So in order to truly combine AI with our own efforts in a way that benefits us and those whom we serve or work with, we have to continue to learn, as you said, both the people skills and also we need to keep learning about the technology.
6: Dr. Matthew, let's go back to you. Dr. Martha just beautifully said what I was thinking that, yes, to Linda Ann's question, what can we do or what do we need to do? And Linda Ann, you actually gave the answer share, t- spend time on the mountain. And that's what Dr. Martha was talking about. And it's engaging with that AI, it's in, it's trying stuff, trying again. I don't like to use the word fail very often. Okay, so so maybe you try something and it didn't work. Well, now we know one thing to not to do. Let's try it a different way. And over time, as you learn to, as you would continue to engage with it, you learn how to communicate effectively with it. So Tom, like you said, people skills and communication, but also communicating with that technology. Uh, you as you as you learn how to communicate it with it and those prompts that you input they start to generate deeper and deeper insights you can help you learn more it's pulling it's it there's i uh i believe that it is pulling a conglomerate of information of stuff that's already out there it's it that that through that effective communication asking the right prompts it knows where to it, it can identify Pieces in, in, of the puzzle and put it together in a way that we may not have otherwise seen. And so it's all about spending time on that mountain, getting to know that resource, getting to know that tool. How many, I mean, it, it's, I've gone hiking many times, and the more times that I spend on that trail, I now know this is the part that I enjoy. The next 30 minutes, I'm going to enjoy this part of the hike because it's finally flat again. And then, oh crap, here comes the part where it switchbacks for two hours. Uh, the more familiar with it, the more you know how to prepare for it and how to incorporate what you bring. To make that experience more enjoyable.
2: Thank you very much for that. Uh, Nick, we're going to go to you and then Linda Ann. I'm glad you have your hand up because I want to ask you about what you're doing now with leadership coaching and how AI is going to change that. Uh, so prepare. Uh, Nick, over to you.
7: Yeah, I think that we talked about the skills that we're going to need to use. It is those, those communication skills and I think it goes into a bevy of ways. And I think the one thing that jumps out to me is kind of media literacy. You know, we're integrating multiple fields so so very, very quickly. You know, we understand the, the IO side of things and how organizations work, but do we need to start tapping our programming friends on the shoulder and go, can you explain this to me like I'm six? And how does this thing actually work? And then maybe get together with, um, sociology and say what are the long-term generational impacts that these are going to have in education? Can we forecast down the future? I think being able to zoom out and take that big picture and approach some of this with humility to identify what you don't know and figure out do I need to be an expert? Do I need to have a basic reading level on it or am I just never going to understand it? I think that that's, that sort of personal view of it could be key to to trying to connect all the dots. And, I mean, we can sit here and talk about using it as a tool, but how much can you force ethics upon somebody? I think we've talked about, you know, the benevolent CEO and the the villain CEO using these for, for various reasons. And, you know, at some point, we just have to hope that people will look out for themselves and others in the process and that we can steer this to being accessible to all, that it can, you know, really improve kind of foundation things, and it'll probably cause wholes- wholesale societal changes on institutions we've had in place for a 100 years or, or more. And some people are going to be ready for it and embrace it. Some people are going to fight back, and there's going to be the tug of war. But that's, I mean, kind of living in the human condition, I suppose.
2: Are, are, are we going to risk leaving people behind?
7: I, I yeah, I think that, you know, the bulk of, of kind of the center of the bell curve will probably... All come along, but there's gonna be outliers that wanna to go to the cabin in the woods and, and just completely detach from it. And there are gonna be some people who dive so far into it that maybe they never see a, another person again because they're locked into to their you know virtual console or, or whatever it is. Um, I think the goal should be to create access for as many people as want it. I think that that's been kind of the interesting thing when you see some of, you know, the rideshare apps and anybody can work and anybody can do, you know, these sort of, of tasks and, and get access to it. Um, yes, there is still kind of the elite that are doing it better or have control over the things. Uh, but I think there is kind of a democratization of, of information that's out there. You know, I can get, you know, a college degree level insight going to the library as opposed to going to the, you know, the university. And so I think there's there's that access that's out there. And as we find ways to steer people to that, these tools will be even more powerful um, in the hands of everybody.
2: And the older I get, the more that cabin in the wood looks good, but I might want internet access. Uh, because I want the best of both worlds. Linda Ann, over to you.
3: So a couple of things. Um, one is I, when you talk about access, right? And and when we talk about leadership development and so forth, one of the things that's important to note is when you ask companies, when do they think leadership development should begin? They believe it should be uh, at 21 when you start, enter the workforce, right? When it actually occurs, is it about 42? And that's usually 10 years after they've been responsible for leadership of people. So there's that, that huge gap. So that's where I think that AI driven, um, leadership development skills can be helpful in introducing leadership skills, leadership development processes and giving them the opportunity to um, uh, start to practice before they're responsible for other people's professional success um, can be a, a big deal that we and if we can facilitate that and then um, augment that. As other leaders, as people are trying to develop those skills, I think that's where we can use AI um, in
2: a very productive manner. Well, uh, go go ahead. sorry, go, go, ahead.
3: go ahead. No, no, go ahead.
2: So, are there are there any tools that you think might come along that will that you're going to want to incorporate in the training that you're doing with executives? So, for example. Jeremy and I have often done role playing where he plays the IO psychologist and I play the annoying client uh, who has, you know, the questions (laughs) maybe people shouldn't be asking. uh, But how would you, for example, with that, can you now use artificial intelligence and AI, even maybe virtual reality to create scenarios where perhaps there is artificial intelligence playing that annoying client? So for IO psychologists, um, you know, it'd be a good training platform, but if you reverse it, you know, and it's now an IO psychologist, AI, maybe that's a, a good tool for me as an executive to practice with.
3: Yeah. I think that, that it is a good tool to practice with. I think that, um, and that's where I, you know, the t- it will give you the time on the mountain. Right. And, <laughs> um, but I think other things that, would allow for leadership development. And one of the things I'm the biggest proponent of is to, when you are this executive leader, uh, you you grab the junior person to, to come with you on your next meeting. Just go be a fly on the wall. We can talk about it ahead of time. We can talk about it after. And we can have those conversations. Those conversations after you've had a meeting with a client or something like that, that would be very difficult to replicate. And get that real time experience. So I think there's a good there's a way to balance the two. I think role playing is excellent once people get past the the stigma of role playing. <laughs> um you know uh so there's that. Um
2: so are there but, any are there any other ways that you know as you're doing leadership coaching right now with executives is there any AI technology that you're going or is there any situations in the training where you're wishing you had ai right now and that you it could it make your life easier, could it make the training better.
3: I do wish that and it depends on how what your client is like. Like I have one client right now who he's all about being in the office, real people, real time, real, you know, and that's not really something he's ready to embrace. So you have to meet people where they are too. Um and then have tools that can maybe inch them along to how to use that that process but I think definitely it's um I can see uh specific ways that AI would be very helpful um and we were talking we were actually having a conversation about how his industry would be evolving and what it would look like and and how they could use it and how could they could speed up the he's this one is a civil engineering. How it could speed up the building process, you know, instead of having the reviewers review it in real time, you know, taking the month to three months or whatever to get the drawings back. They could do it AI and you could have comments in a, a a week and get the building up in a month. You know, so there's lots of ways to look at how to facilitate that. But then you need to have the skills as a leader to encourage that learning, encourage that process, scale your business, evolve your business and the processes, embrace that new technology and bring it in the
2: door. So what, what happens because <laughs> one day we're going to get there. What happens when I'm a real person? leader and i've got ai employees
3: uh then you get to take a longer lunch
2: <laughs> good answer <laughs> I'm, I'm now looking forward to it <laughs> all right do, do, do you or anyone else know if there is you know i'm sure everyone heard about chat gtp ptg whatever it is um i write with a pen um and probably a good tool for me to start playing with um but it's sort of just Happened, at least in my world, where you know, you kind of heard little rumors AI is coming, and all of a sudden, Chat GTP comes out, and the first thing is like, is it good or is it evil? Uh, but you know, sitting here and you know, behind my camera, I didn't really know it was coming along, and I'm sure there's other technology which is about to come along that we have no idea about. So, does you know, you or anyone else who's here today, you know, have some insight into what? Might be coming down the line when it comes to AI. Everyone I don't have interviews. the next gen answer, um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but but the, it, the thing is, is is it's just like a lot of things. It's it, it's not an overnight success. It didn't just happen. It's been in the it's been in the hopper for you know a decade or more or two or three. So it's kind of like that that musician who's an overnight success, but he spent the last
2: fifteen years in local bars, right? Hope we didn't spend too much time in the local bar, uh, Nick. Let's go to you.
7: I think you know when we talk about you know the next big disruption and things like that I know uh, through a recruiting job that I had I would say the best place to look for is the you know the the national labs whatever work that they're doing there is you know funded by the government with very deep pockets and willing to let you know eight projects fail if the ninth is you know a lithium ion battery or whatever's you know next big there I know there's been some technology marching towards um fusion as opposed to fission and nuclear energy and all these things would be massive game changers and they're they're going to show up all of a sudden but you know they've been working on them since the manhattan project so i think that there are more and more disruptions coming and much like we've seen with computers and cell phones that curve and that acceleration is faster and faster and faster so we don't ever necessarily get to a spot that's settled where we're like, okay, this is the way things are. We have a new status quo. It's like, okay, we have half of the status quo, but now we've got to go chase this, this other thing. And it's a little exhausting to some degree, um, but it's also fairly exciting to see where we can get to. And again, we'll see wholesale whole changes societally and things like that, uh, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take people to to manage that change and you know, maybe put the brakes on some people who are a little overeager and pull some folks along that are a little bit more scared of it. Once they see the good that it can do, or somebody looking out for the unintended consequences, which, you know, those are hidden everywhere in in every new discovery.
2: Well, let me ask you this, Nick, because, you know, when, remember that lockdown we had and, you know, remote work was happening (laughs) and hybrid work. And I was a true believer, like, this is great, and a lot of people are going to find a better work-life balance, blah, 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 blah. And then I've spent the last, you know, 8, 12 months watching CEOs go, I'm lonely. <laughs> I'm the only one in the office and I miss everybody. Um, and you have to come back to the office. So there, there's been this pushback. And you know, no, no matter how effective, you know, uh, you know, remote or hybrid work is, we kind of ignored that. And we just want people back in the office. So do you think there's going to be a pushback similar with AI where it's, it might be the solution, but darn it, heck, we're, we're not changing the way we do things?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think there's it's, it's not a straight line. It's going to go through some switchbacks to, to one degree or another. I mean, we have voice to text that works well, but I find myself sitting in a journal with pen to paper because the mind functions differently when you have that tactile Sort of thing, and I think we we have to balance the the ability that we have to create these wonderful, wonderful tools with what our physiology does. And I think that's where you get into you know cross pollinating with somebody doing user experience, like how do we create the best of both worlds? I think we've mentioned in these conversations. I have a Kindle; it's great. It allows me to bring five hundred books on a plane trip, but do I still want to crack open a paperback because there are other benefits to it i think that that's where you get this idea of quality what are the qualities we can bring to this expanded productivity that you know we we can't lose the fact that we're you know this this meat machine that has to go through the world and there are certain needs and wants and responses that happen in the body and the brain that Aren't going to be in the virtual world or the augmented world, and we have to work with that. So I think you'll see kind of the first wave of excitement, and we're all the way over here. Oh, but wait, you know, now there's atrophy because everybody's sitting at their desk for you know 20 hours a day. Well, now we've got to focus on getting people back to moving, and I think that that winding road. Hopefully, it's not you know giant swings, but I think that there will be some some. Okay, we we can do remote work, but we do need that community in the office. So how do we balance that? And I think that, again, if you assume positive intent with the return to office, it's, you know, it's not about control. It's about community. I think that messaging from CEOs would look much different than this is the way it is. You're coming to the office. You either come in or send in your resignation.
2: Yeah, I, I love the feel of a book. I love the smell of a new book. And you can't get those from a Kindle. <laughs> uh, and Manny, good to see you back. Let's hear from you.
4: Hi. Hi. Um... I hope everyone is fine. So I'm going to, I just wanted to speak to the statement that was mentioned earlier when you say that, you know, when you projected and said how people from outside other countries are looking up to U.S., you know, projecting from the U.S. And um, I just wanted to say that um, in as much as people are looking up to U.S., it doesn't necessarily look at up to U.S. because, you um, because of what, uh, because of maybe the, they're getting just strategy. Up to
3: Hello,
2: Maggie. We're getting a weird sound. I think that maybe your mic's not working.
4: I'm not sure.
2: Should oh, I there be? you go.
4: That was, <laughs> was <laughs> that my, my, my end?
2: Oh, it might have been someone else's mic that might have just been on. So go ahead.
4: Oh, yeah, because I don't have a kiddo here at all. <laughs> so I was just saying that um, people only look up to U.S. because of its economic, you know, the economic power, you know. um, It's not because of the admiration of the methods or, or the knowledge, it's because of the opportunities, you know. So they look up to U.S. for that and then they align their strategies and products, you know, to gain or they want to appeal. Or they do they do want to appeal to the U.S what to the U.S market so they can emulate or assimilate whatever they get from U.S within their culture as well um I'll give an example but still the same in the same sentence when you say that when you're called for us as IO psychology to IO psychologists to link up together so we can um, leverage AI, and make our own innovations this is exactly what these other countries in a sense or in a way are also what they're doing you know so they are also trying to like look up to us in that kind of regard so they can emulate these things within their societies so it's more like they're looking up to us as a competitor they know the market is here so they just want to appeal to it tap into it and one of the methods that is even coming up that is really giving them the power to do so, the storytelling thing, the storytelling um, uh, situation, other countries are using it now to also tap into the whole economy, I mean, to tap into the whole um, U.S. economy, and now they're trying, they're driving it into their societies. So it's not necessarily that they're looking up to U.S. because it's all the great ideas and stuff. They're looking at it in more, they're looking at it in more of like competitors, Taking back to within their societies and stuff so I just wanted to make a little bit of that statement I don't know if how it's going to be viewed but just wanted to make that as a as a as a side note to that kind of thought
2: I think it's a great side note and and yeah I've been for the last few years now extolling the virtues of narrative like you have to have narrative and storytelling because it just impacts it reaches everyone uh, Dr Martha, let's go back
0: to you
5: so one of the things that is important to remember is that sci- science and technology built upon themselves as they advance, which is why the advancement is exponential in nature, right? When we didn't have the wheel, we had to come up with the wheel. But once we had the wheel, we could do something with it. And so as science and technologies grow, that curve is very much exponential. It it advances very quickly. But Nick brought up a very important point here to remember, and it brings me back to the precious humanity of our species. There is going to be that human factor that interjects, and it's going to be individual on some level, and it's going to be collective on another level. I too love the smell of a book. I will go hang out at a bookstore, a library just to be surrounded by that, right? So as many books as I can have on my Um, technological gadget or even my phone. It's just not the same. And so, so it goes for that lonely CEO, right? Maybe it was better to have everybody virtually, but the guy wants people there, right? So that's the part we need to remember. As fast as technology moves, and it will continue to move, that human element will always interject and it will always help us to interpret how and and why to some degree that technology develops and advances and how it helps us to do better so yay yes. humanity
2: yeah <laughs> we like humans we should get a sticker uh linda and let's go to you
3: i just i wanted to um bring up that while I too prefer sitting down with a book or a magazine or a piece of paper and pencil and so forth at times um, when I'm not using voice to text. And, um, but we have to remember that there will be a generation coming up very soon that will not have experienced that and they won't pine for it, right? So it'll be interesting to see if they, if they gravitate towards that somehow but they won't have had that as their initial foundational experiences.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, I just even look at, you know, the way that I was taught in elementary school and the tools that are available to me. (laughs) We've we've moved past the slate and chalk era. Uh, But we've also run out of time. This has been a great conversation, Uh, once again, as always. Uh, But we do have some things coming up. There is a momentum session coming up on October tenth at ten a.m. and then Linda Ann kicking off on October eleventh. You want to tell us about the three session masterclass master class in navigating the new normal?
3: Yes, it's, it's uh, Deb Colazzo, and I uh, have done this. Uh, this will be our second time where it's in a different format, but it's uh, leadership development and it's helping you um, identify and. Uh, become more familiar with where you are and your emotional intelligence because that's such a foundational aspect of it. That's the first session. The second one is really determining what your leadership vision is for yourself. Who do you want to be as a leader? And the third is really creating the value system around that leadership vision so that you have guardrails to progress But the key for this is really what you will walk away with is a complete leadership development plan for yourself so that you understand the skills that you want to develop and it's a a, gives you a lot of tools to use to help you develop those skills so you can go ahead and get the time on the mountain in a very structured, uh, purposeful way. And it's today is the last day for early bird pricing. Um, I believe it's not $199 for the three session uh, process. You will also have a Slack channel for communication, and there will be um, an additional session for follow-up on questions and answers on the 1st of November. So uh, it's a it's a pretty uh, cost-effective way to get your leadership development program started for yourself.
2: And I can find information on the CBOC website. Absolutely, and I just posted it in the uh, chat as well. And we're going to be continuing our AI discussion. Uh, We're actually going to talk about virtual leadership in decentralized teams uh, leading from anywhere uh, next Thursday when we all come back. Um, Dr. Martha, you are online. You've got a great podcast. You're doing some stuff on YouTube. Tell us about that.
5: Yes, thank you, Tom. So my podcast is called uh, Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Greidek. You can find it on all of the Um, podcast providers, and it's also on my YouTube channel, which is Stress-Free with Dr. G. And then, of course, uh, there are other videos on there you can enjoy, all about a comprehensive, effective approach to stress management.
2: Nice. I think I need a little bit of that right now. (laughs) Uh, Anybody else want to jump in and throw in a plug for something that you're doing? Going once, going twice. It looks like something got put in the chat. All right. uh, With that, we are out of time. Uh, So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, We will be back in one week's time, so join us again. And Linda N., if you'd like to count us out, we'll see everyone back here in one week's time.
3: Thank you all. It was a great conversation. And we're out.
4: Three, two, one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.